I love you guys. This is, it's just so cool to be, uh, to be with y'all. This is a whole lot better than watching TV. We're, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about the Holy Spirit in worship today. A little, uh, take a little detour. We've been talking about the, the gifts <clears throat> for a couple of weeks, and we're going to be getting back to those. But today, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in worship, and we're going we're gonna to look at a passage of Scripture that isn't normally associated with Palm Sunday, but um, I think we can make some connections by the time it's all over. Would you stand with me? And let's read from John chapter 4. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the joy of being with the saints. I pray, Father, that you would refresh us, that you would help us in the spirit to be alert, help us to receive what you want to give us today and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hug two people before you sit down. Don't go anywhere. Just whoever's close to you, give them a big old back cruncher. Okay. I didn't say tell them your life story. Just hug, hug, sit. Hug and sit. Hug, sit. It's not hard. Hug, sit. Jesus with the woman at the well. We are pretty familiar with this story. Most believers are pretty familiar with this story. And normally what we take out of it, what we think about it, is the term living water. Uh, and that's, that's a great term to take out of it, for sure. But there's a whole lot in this passage. And it's, it's very rich. And so we're going to be looking at a different part today. When the woman realized that Jesus was a prophet... She wanted to discuss religion, or some might say argue religion. And she did it by saying, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship. Give me, let me give you a little bit of background here, because um, this, there are so many conflicts today that a lot of people have and that they get tied up in knots about you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, or in the name of Jesus, you know. Uh, musical instruments, n- no musical instruments. Dance, no dance. Um, preachers in suits, preachers not in suits, you know. I mean, whatever. W- women in the pulpit, women not in the pulpit. I mean, there are just so many things that people get 
tied up in knots about, none of them are nearly as deep or long-seated as this one was. In fact, that, that term Jews, by the way, let me, well, let me tell you where that, that came from. Um, because this, this conflict that she's talking about here is over 950 years old. 950 years is a long time. That's older than anybody. <laughs> 950 years ago, William the Conqueror hadn't even invaded England yet. So, I mean, this is, this is a long time that she's talking about, a long-standing thing here. In around 930 B.C., before Christ, Solomon died. His son, Rehoboam, took the throne. And very shortly thereafter, the kingdom split. And ten of the tribes went with a guy named Jeroboam. No relation to Rehoboam, they just rhyme. And ten of the tribes went with Jeroboam. They became known as the northern kingdom or Israel. Uh, and, and, and after 930, if you hear the term Israel, uh, nationally speaking, they're talking about that northern kingdom. Two of the tribes, Benjamin and Judah, stayed with the house of David. And they became known as the tribe of, well, as, as the nation of Judah. Hence the term Jews. Uh, Israelites would be the northern kingdom. Jews would be the southern kingdom. They actually were all one, but they had split politically at this point. Now this guy, Jeroboam, uh, had gotten the kingdom, really, it had been prophesied that he, would, that he would get ten of the tribes and that they would go with him. It was a prophecy from the Lord. It had been fulfilled. And he had also been told that God would establish his throne, would establish his kingdom, would establish him. But Jeroboam, after a little while, began to think, and really he trusted Jeroboam more than he trusted God. Don't know if anybody's got that kind of issue today, but he did. He got to thinking, you know, these people all worship the Lord. And... The Lord is their God, and the temple of the Lord is in Jerusalem, which isn't in my territory. And so if they go down to Jerusalem every year to worship the Lord, if they take their offerings down there, if, if they come under Rehoboam's influence that much, they're going to end up going back to him, and they'll kill me, and, and this will all be over. i got to do something about this. And so basically what he did was he essentially started a new religion. He set up... Two calf idols, a uh, golden calf. Imagine that. Does that ring any bells with anybody? Set up two calf idols, one in the northern part of the kingdom at, at Dan and one in the southern part of the kingdom at Bethel. And he said to the people of, of, of Israel, he said, it's too much for you guys to have to go all the way to Jerusalem to do your worshiping. These are your gods. Who, we have taken the Lord and we put him at Dan and at Bethel as well and now you can go and worship him there it's it's far more convenient and obviously for the people in the northern part of the country it certainly was to go to Dan and anybody in the southern part of the country if they were going to go to Jerusalem they would have to pass right by Bethel to get there and just make an extra trip for nothing so he set up these golden calf idols he also established a new priesthood he said you know what there's really no reason why the priests can only be Levites. Now, that's just so elitist. We're going to start a new priesthood. Anybody who would like to be an, a priest can apply. It's your day of freedom. Come and everyone be a priest now. So he, he sets up 
He sets up these calf idols. He sets up a new priesthood. He establishes a new festival to compete with the one in Jerusalem so that all the people could come there. And he goes, okay, now, now, now we're settled. Now we're fixed. The problem was that Moses had written in Deuteronomy 12, 13, and 14, be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything that I have commanded you. Moses specifically wrote, don't just go anywhere you want to go. I'm going to choose one place, and that's where you're supposed to go. So Jeroboam comes along, he establishes some more places, and all the people, a lot of the people, fall for it and go for it. What does that say about their knowledge of what Moses had written? Anybody who knew what Moses had written would know this is wrong. This this isn't the right way to go. It's the same today, guys. If we know what God has said, if we know what God has written, then it will protect us so much. Because if we don't know what he said, if we don't know what he's written, then anything anybody tells us, we have a tendency to go, that's, a, that's convenient. That sounds good. We don't, we, you mean we don't have to go, wow, let's do that. So anyway, from the time of Jeroboam on until the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity, their kings were almost uniformly evil, bad. All of them turned away from the Lord. And the phrase that you continue to hear over and over and over again is that this, this, this king was wicked. He followed the way of Jeroboam, who taught Israel how to sin and turned them away from the Lord. This was sin. Bad thing. That's what this woman is talking about. See, after Jeroboam, they, they figured, well, hey, you know, you got one at Bethel, you got one at Dan, well, let's put some more up. And so it actually got to the place where on any mountain they could have a, they could have a temple, they could have a place to go and sacrifice. They called it the Lord, but it wasn't. They just called it the Lord. And so that's what this woman is saying to Jesus. She's saying, our fathers worship here on this mountain, been doing it for almost a thousand years. But you Jews say we got to go to Jerusalem to worship. Now, which is it? And if ever, if ever anyone had reason and opportunity to set somebody straight about doctrine, this was it. This was the time. I mean, Jesus could have just gone, Let, get your Bible out, woman. Let's turn to, let's, let's look at this. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He, he cut through to something far deeper, to teach her something much deeper about worship than what she was asking. He said, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Well, what does that mean? Spirit and truth. When we first came to the church here, 
there were a couple of things that I knew that I wanted. Um, and it might surprise you what they were because it's not necessarily the things that are the most obvious right now. In fact, I, you know, when we came, I had no idea we'd be dancing. I had no idea that uh, I certainly wasn't thinking about having a theater or anything like that. I figured we'd be pretty involved in missions when Margaret and I just come off the mission field. And so, you know, we had a heart for that. Uh, I wanted it to be a genuine, authentic kind of place. I wanted it to be the kind of place where somebody could fail and it'd be okay. Go, fail? Isn't that a dirty word in, in Christian parlance today? Well, it is if you're talking about in God, but if you're talking about doing stuff yourself, you fail all the time. And so, you know, if you try something and you fail and you're in this church and somebody jumps on you and gets on you, come see me. I'll make you feel so much better. I mean, some, some of you know that. I've, I've done that a few times. And, and in fact, there's a bunch of people here who will make you feel so much better because you need to be picked up. You need, to, you need some help in, in, in getting on along. That, that's the way that's supposed to be. I also had a vision for what our style of worship would be. See, before I was a pastor, I was a worship leader, and before I was a worship leader, I was a preacher's kid. And growing up, I used to wonder why in the world we called it a worship service. Sunday morning worship service. Because everything before the sermon seemed to be, and in fact was often referred to as, the preliminaries. Now that the preliminaries are out of the way, now that we've sung our two songs, first, second, and last verse, now that we've taken up the offering, now that we've you know, had a couple testimonies, now that the preliminaries are done, let's get down to why we're really here. And, and that, you know, that, would, that, that bugged me. Uh, one of the things that bugged me was calling children who believed in Jesus the church of tomorrow. Uh, that's always bugged me too, because anybody who believes in the Jesus is the church of like right now, today. And the idea that, uh, that all this that we're at a worship service and yet offerings and songs and prayers and stuff were preliminary, you know, to what? Evangelism was important. I mean, the, the focus was on, was, on the, was on the sermon with a successful altar call. And, and evangelism is worship in the sense of everything we say and do being worship, but really it can get a little more, it can get a little more uh, focused than that. And, and here... It, Worship is important in its own right. It doesn't have to have a reason. It doesn't, it, I, I mentioned this, uh, I've mentioned this a few times, but, but I, it's just a, a memory that I'll never forget. I remember buying my parents a chess piece for Christmas one year. It was about this tall. It was a ceramic chess piece. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And I remember opening it up, my parents opening it up. I was so excited. And my dad going, what does it do? thought it forces checkmate that's what it does you know it moves diagonally it was a queen it can do anything but really it couldn't do anything but the truth of the matter is it, it was just beautiful that's all it was and you know what worship is beautiful it's just pleasing to God do you think that maybe that's worth something something just being pleasing to God wow what does it do what, makes God smile that, that's not a bad thing to get done. So worship is important in its own right. What does worship look like? Well, there's a sense in which it should look like our entire lives. It should look like buying groceries at the grocery store. 
You know, it should look, it should look like driving, it should look like the way we drive to work. It should, it should look like the way we interact with, with our spouses. It should just, I mean, that, there is a sense in which that's true, but we can get more specific. In, well, but first of all, a couple of scriptures in the New Testament. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's the everything we say and do verse. Because in everything you say and, and do, you use your body. And you tend to take your body with you when you go places, do stuff. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. As a pastor, there are things that are, that are really good about being a pastor, and there are things that are really yucky about being a pastor. Just like anything, like any job that you can possibly do. Uh, one of the yucky things about being a pastor is seeing people fade away. And there's really nothing you can do about it. I mean, I've, I've learned that over the years. You know, I, there was a time when I thought, hey, I can, I can keep you from fading away. Yeah, and, I, and I'll, I'll go get you and I will, and I will drag you back. And, I, you know, I could drag them back. And for six weeks they'd be drugged back and then they'd, and then they'd just poof. Because, see, they, no decision had been made in their hearts. But one of the beautiful things about being a pastor is, you, well, <laughs> actually this is a two-edged sword as well. You know a lot of things about people. Uh, and, and sometimes it's because they come and tell you. Sometimes it's because somebody else comes and tell you. Pastor, I just really think you need to know this. <laughs> Pastor, you might want to pray for, you know, and you're kind of going, please. You know? And actually, sometimes God tells you. <laughs> yeah, better be careful. And, uh, but sometimes you, you come on a Sunday or Wednesday or whenever it is, and you just know that somebody is absolutely going through it. Just, if it can be, if something bad can happen, it has happened to them in the last six weeks. And you see them, and they're there. And they're, and they're pushing. They're pushing through. They're, they're they're singing. Maybe, maybe this is all they can do. But, you know, maybe, maybe the hands are up and the tears are coming down their face and you're just going, oh, God. <sighs> yeah. That's, that's a sacrifice of praise. See, that, that's what that's talking about. Anybody can, anybody can, can worship Jesus, you know, when they just got a raise. <laughs> praise God. You know, but when they just lost their job, it gets a little harder. Anybody can just worship Jesus when, 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 when Aunt Mary just got healed. But when Uncle Joe just died, you know, comes a sacrifice of praise. And let me say this too. You know, as we just go through our numb, spiritually dead, lost in the fog, normal kind of life that, that we have to put up with in our culture, sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise to just come in and... Shake it all off. Get, just get it off. Get it off so I, can, so I can do this. That's a sacrifice of praise. So these, but we can get more specific than that. The Bible gets more specific than that. One of, the, one of the things that is worship, what does worship look like? Well, one of the specific acts of worship demonstrated in Scripture is just attendance. 
in the assembly. I used to ask my dad why we went to church all the time. And he would uh, virtually always answer with Hebrews 10.25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Or as it sounded in the King James, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, and, I, and I went, okay, okay, I get that. But does that mean every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, Every revival service, the Beatles are on Ed Sullivan sometimes. There have got to be reasons. <laughs> oh. You know, when I talk about, uh, well, throughout the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament, God required his people to attend corporate gatherings, required his people to be there. So in a sense, just being there is an act of worship. And when I say that, you know, I look out sometimes and see people pushing through to worship, you know, look out sometimes and I, and I, and I see some, they At our church, occasionally, we encourage people to get involved in, in the worship. Uh, some people would say that we um, strong arm browbeat, manipulate people into getting involved in worship. But actually, it's just encouragement. Uh, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, when I, when I look and I see somebody who's maybe just, you know, worshiping like this, used to, I, was, I, I, I would kind of, when I was younger, I would tend to feel like, oh, come on, come on, man, get, get into it. You know, now... I'm a little bit older and I don't feel that way anymore. Because I have no idea what that person went through to get here. I have no idea what's going on in their life right now. And just the fact that they are standing here, just the fact that they're not at home laying in bed or sitting in front of the TV, just the fact that they are here is worship. It's worship to God. How often should you come? Well, in the, Old, <laughs> in the Old Testament, the bottom line was three times a year. Of course, they didn't have cars. <laughs> and I got a feeling that they probably got together a little more often than that. But I mean, that was, that was the festivals. And let me just say that when they came for those three times a year, they usually stayed a week. So, you know, if you want to do that we could probably try and figure that out for me personally and, and you know and and there's there's no law here but i'm just saying for me personally you know at least once a week man i need it because you know i get out there and 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 things just happen you know and, and your and your mind just starts going other places and you just get involved with other things and you come in you come in kind of kind of like this and you and you and you leave hopefully kind of like this you know you you come in sort of blurry and hopefully leave with with your eyes open i mean i need that that refocusing that recalibrating at least once a week i mean our lives tend to to run in those cycles you know and, and really it's a matter between you and god wednesday nights here are great let me just tell you wednesday nights are great if you don't need them okay don't come. But if you do need them, don't lie to yourself. 
I thought there'd be a great hallelujah shout amen come up from that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Attendance. Well, another thing that's, that's clearly a, worship is bringing an offering. We no longer need to bring a sacrifice for sins. If you've if you got a guilt offering, don't bring it here. Bring it to the cross. Because that's where it got taken care of. But there's thank offerings and fellowship offerings and tithes and offerings. They're, they're acts of obedience. They're acts of worship. You know, they are first of all acts of obedience, for acts of worship. Second of all, acts of, of, of obedience. Third of all, a doorway to blessings in our lives. We, we tend to get that kind of flipped and, and take that third one and put it up there as, you know, kind of the incentive. Uh, that's the wrong incentive. Incentive is worship in its own right. That's, that's, that's the incentive. But when, when people came uh, to worship the Lord, they might sing, they, they might dance, they might lift their hands, they might hear a sermon, they, they might have an altar call. They would bring an offering. That was, that's really where worship starts. That's really the, the, the bottom line of worship there. Other things, let me, let me get on here. Singing, dancing, clapping, raising hands. <laughs> They're all acts of worship from, from the Scripture. Now, most people are okay with singing. They may not be okay with their singing. And if they're standing beside you, they may not be okay with your singing. But they are okay with singing because they go, well, that's, yeah, that's part of how you worship the Lord. Uh, but dance? In the scripture? Yeah, well, like David, you know, and Miriam, and Jeremiah saying, Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, young men and old men together, and I will comfort them, and I will make them rejoice from their sorrows. Like I said, I didn't necessarily think, a lot of times when you, when, when you look at, at dance in, in a worship setting, nowadays, often it's, it's performance type dance, and there's nothing wrong with that. that. That's fine. Get the beautiful dancers up there. Let them dance beautifully. When they dance, they feel his pleasure. That's, that's great. That's not what we do, though. What we do is we do a kind of dance that says, come on. Now, come on. You know, do it there or do it here or do it here. But, you know, do it. You know, get emotionally engaged. Now, when people come to our church for the first time, they almost invariably go, that's so distracting. Margaret and I, uh, back in 2001, uh, went to Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris on a Sunday. And Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris is a, <laughs> it's a, it's a happening place. And we went in, and they were having, they were having service. That's why we were there. We, we, let's go to service in Notre Dame. Yeah, we'll go sit on the front row. And, and actually, we had, had to sit on the second row. But they had this organ that sounded like it was from outer space that was playing. And they had these big paintings all over everywhere. And they had this altar that was just like jaw-dropping, beautiful piece of art. It was incredible. I was distracted, and I haven't been back. I wonder if there's going to be anything distracting in heaven. You know, like living creatures with four heads around the throne and things like that. 
You know, I could just see people, well, I don't want, not me, I, no, I just can't get into it here, it's distracting. <laughs> Come on, it's, 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 uh, it may not be for you, but it's for him. It's for him. And just, and if it is for you, do it. Go, go with it. Anyway, dance is certainly a part of worship. Clapping, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You go to something and you're into it and you like what's going on, you clap. I mean, that's just, that's the way, that's the way that it works. Lifting hands, even in the New Testament. I want men everywhere to lift holy hands in worship before God. Mario Gaglione sent us a little thing uh, this last week. It was kind of, I don't know where he got it, but it was sort of a, it was sort of a, a, a sheet with a, with a bunch of different hand signals on it. It was, uh, what did they call it? It was, it was worship hand signals? Yeah, there was the rookie, and this was the first one, you know, and, and, then, it, and, then, it, and, then, and then it had names for them. This was, the, this was Carrie the TV. This was widescreen. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember a lot of the names. I just know th those are the rookies. Yeah, when they got... Uh, yeah, I, I remember that this was one of the pro, one of the pro signs, and and this is one that I do a lot. I am a pro. <laughs> Get right down to it. <laughs> and you know what? Lifting hands, it may seem like a silly thing, but for many, many people, maybe most people, that's the breakthrough. I mean, that's when you, that's when you, that's when you take the red pill. And you go down the rabbit hole and you cannot come back out again. <laughs> is once you have finally gotten there. It just breaks something loose. So, something, something inside just starts to, just starts to break up. And you're in, a, you're in a different place. You really are. And worship to God. What does worship look like? Big small, liturgical, free-flowing, exuberant, solemn. Yes. All of the above. The one common denominator, the one thing that ties them all in is the, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit touches and inspires worship, it becomes real. It becomes real regardless of what the setting may be. This does not mean that we don't need to prepare for worship. It doesn't mean that we don't need to prepare when we, when we, when we come uh, because it's up to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, uh, now, he'll be there, but we need to prepare. We used to, uh, back when we were at the Lord's Chapel, we'd have these monthly services where uh, a bunch of different churches were involved. And one month, one church would lead the worship, and another church would provide the sermon, and another church would do something else. I don't know, park people in the parking lot or something. I don't know. But we, we'd, we'd switch those around. And I remember the month that the guy came, uh, and I don't remember what church it was from, and I don't remember the guy. I just remember him going, you know, I didn't, I didn't put a worship list together today. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead us where he will. And apparently, the Holy Spirit didn't want to go anywhere. Because it just, we just kind of stood there and looked at each other for a while. And he led a song and walked off. And I thought, 
I know that feeling. I remember when I was a teenager and I thought I was called to preach. And I remember that the time that I, that I and the, you got to understand the culture, the church culture that I was brought up in really kind of actually despised study. It was kind of like, you know, that's, oh, that's just flesh. You got you to let the Holy Ghost come in. You know, if, 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 if you're not sweating and slobbering, then he hadn't come and you're not really preaching yet. And so I figured it was just this one Sunday and, and I was preaching the Sunday night service and I didn't know what I was going to preach on, but I thought, you know what, I just, I just let the Holy Ghost come and I'll sweat and slobber and, and uh, you know, and I, I went and prayed and just, I just pray. That's all I did, pray, God, you know, come anoint this service. Now, that's important. That is important to pray, okay? But, but that's all I did. And nothing happened. The only thing that happened was I, I decided that night that I was not called to preach. <laughs> By the time that night, that was the longest night of my life, and it was like an eight-minute sermon. <laughs> you do prepare. We used to have these services, and if a service was really, really good, then the preacher didn't preach. How, and I thought, you know, in, in looking back on it, I think, how ironic that we think we've really met with God if we didn't hear his word. Yeah, that's kind of ironic. All through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see preparation for worship. I will say this, the preparation is cheapened when it becomes merely outward. I, I understand the concept of putting on your best Sunday go to meet and close and you know and, and there's a heart that can do that and that is absolutely an act of worship but there's a heart that can do that and it's absolutely an act of look at me you know so it, it can't just be outward it's got it's got to be inward that's when that's when the Holy Spirit begins to touch this does mean that all true worship is inspired by the Holy Spirit I don't know if any of you will, will recognize what chapter this is from but therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. We've been reading that for like the last four weeks in a row in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as I was telling you, the first week that we got on it, what that really means is that anybody can say, Jesus is Lord, but it doesn't mean anything. It's not really worship. It has no power in it until the Holy Spirit touches it and ignites it. And breathes on it. That's, that's what makes it real. When the Holy Spirit inspires worship, deep and wonderful things happen. Today is Palm Sunday. Next week's Easter, by the way. Don't forget that. Today is Palm Sunday. And, and the crowd that... When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the crowd began to worship... And especially the children. The children were shouting. Everyone was shouting Hosanna. The children were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Running through the, running through the temple shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. What that literally means, Hosanna means save now. And declaring him the Son of David, what they literally were saying was, save now, rightful heir of David's throne. You who belong on David's, you who really are the king, save. And that was exactly what Jesus came to do. Now, 
you know, in their minds, they probably were thinking, get rid of the Romans and set up a kingdom. But what he was thinking was, defeat the devil and set up a kingdom. And five days later, he did that. But here's the thing. You, the worship that they, that they were giving, the worship that was coming forth with them, was so much deeper, so much richer, so much more prophetic than they had any idea of. When Mary anointed Jesus at Bethany, when she brought the, 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 the pint of pure nard and, and poured it on his feet, I mean, a pint of that stuff would still cost like $1,000 or more today. This is, this is expensive stuff. People didn't make a lot of money back then. She had no idea that she was anointing his body for burial. She loved him. She was bringing a worship offering, a sacrificial worship offering, but she had no idea how deep this was going. She had no idea that just a, a few hours later, literally, could be measured in hours, he was going to be in a tomb, and she was preparing his body for it. See, when the Holy Spirit anoints us with something, when the Holy Spirit begins to stir up deep, deep wells, stirring deep, deep waters, there, it's, it's, so, it's always so much more than we, than we know. We, we enter into something that's eternal. We enter into something that's invisible. We enter into something that, that only God can do. So, three things about worship that the Holy Spirit has, and we'll be finished. This is quick. Such worship always exalts Jesus, bearing in mind that what exalts the Son exalts the Father. Whoever hates the Son, hates the Father. Whoever loves the Son, loves the Father. Whatever you do for the Son, you've done for the Father. And Jesus extended in another step out. He said, whatever you do to one another, you're doing to me. Yeah. Whatever you do to me, you've done to the Father. But it always exalts Jesus. This, this conversation that he had with the woman at the well, where they got into the conversation about worship, and he talked about spirit and truth being what worship was about, ended up in a revelation of who Jesus was. I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll make everything clear to us. I who speak to you am he. Revelation of Jesus comes out of Holy Spirit-inspired worship. Holy Spirit-inspired worship is always deep. It's always layered. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. It doesn't matter if you've got a, a, a biblical vo vocabulary yet or not. You don't necessarily have to have that. When the Holy Spirit breathes on that worship, fire comes forth and it becomes deep and it becomes layered and it becomes rich and important. And then finally, when you worship, the Holy Spirit comes and you are never alone. It's never just you. When you say, thank you, Jesus, that's not just you when it's inspired of him. When, you, when, you, when you're riding along in the car and, and, and it's just kind of welling up inside of you and whatever that song may be and it starts, it's not just you. He's there. He's there. He's, he's inside you. He's all around you. He's all over. This is life. This is true worship. Would you stand with me?
Would the elders and their wives uh, come and prepare to pray for people, the staff? Uh, this isn't an altar call type of service, but you may have had an altar call type of week. You may have had an altar call type of event going on in your life right now. Maybe you need healing, and it's not just physical. Maybe you need provision. Maybe you're one of those people who brought a sacrifice of praise today because of what's going on. You may, you may need understanding. You may need clarity. You may need Jesus. You may not know him. You may need forgiveness of sins. You may know somebody who needs one of those things, and the Holy Spirit is telling you, go pray with that person about it. The altar's open. The altar's open. We're going to worship together for a few moments. The Holy Spirit is going to inhabit this place. God's going to do some stuff, and if you're one of the ones that needs Him to do something, you come. You come. You dance over me while I am on the way. You see.
appreciate you guys being here. Really do. This week is a very special week. It's Holy Week. This is the day that he entered into the city. Thursday is the night that he washed his disciples' feet, instituted the Lord's Supper. Friday is the day that he went to the cross for us. Next Sunday, the day that he rose from the dead. Don't treat this like just any week. Say, well, I can think about those things anytime. Yeah, but you don't. Think about them this week. Focus on them. Take time. Take time. Very special. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent His Son into the world so that we might become His, so that we might know the newness of life that He brings, so that the Holy Spirit might come and inhabit us. May the Holy Spirit come and inhabit you. May that encounter with God manifest in true praise and worship. May it change the lives of those around you who live in darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.